Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WHAT, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the old tutoring center suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for our non-traditional campus. My name is Grace, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Julie, and my pronouns are she, her. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be the hosts for this podcast, so let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, Julie. How are you doing? Good morning, Grace. I'm doing great. I'm very excited for today's episode, just as always, because we have the amazing Dr. Gaynerholm. Dr. Christina Gaynerholm is back with us this term to talk about media advocacy. So Dr. Christina Gaynerholm, if you want to just briefly introduce yourself again, just in case if people aren't familiar with you and yeah, just some of your background, your academic studies and all that. Yeah. Good morning, Julie and Grace. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Um, I am a PhD student within the School of Public Health, um, or it's UPSU School of Public Health and um, an adjunct instructor um, for, for our 250, um, our community, our health. And my focus of, um, or area of research is within maternal child health, perinatal um, health and then I'm really interested in media advocacy, how we get all our good public and sound public health recommendations um, communicated in a way that we can move policy and in initiatives and intervention forward. Perfect. Yeah. Just like what Dr. Yehran was saying today, we'll be touching on the topic of, of media advocacy, which isn't well studied at the time or at this moment, but because it's still a pretty relatively new idea, especially in the public health field. And so we'll just be chatting about um, what it is and how it looks like. And by all means, none of us are expert when it comes to media advocacy, but we're just trying to um, open up a discussion about it and just kind of speaking from experience and from our knowledge. But uh, Grace, do you want to get us started on it? Yeah, totally. Um, I think like what Julie said, media advocacy is definitely like a newer thing in public health. Like it's always been there, but the definition and like the actual intention behind it is somewhat new. So we're just going to be start, or we're going to just start asking like, what is media advocacy? So yeah, if you want to give us a quick explainer on that, Dr. Yaderholm, that'd be awesome. Sure. I'll do my best. Um, So as you said, it's, it's not a brand new idea, but we just haven't been always been effective enough in public health to utilize the ideas and media advocacy is sort of the strategic use of mass media. Um, So a way to advance public health initiatives and policy. And um, it is for public health rooted in the goals of promoting the health of the population or communities. And we often see in media that we emphasize the individual stories. They are nice, they're easier to tell, um, but they also invoke the idea that issues relate with the individual actor, right? The, it's the person. And then we come, we will talk much more, I know about responsibility. Um, 
but that's that's the way that media typically or we see them present an idea and then the media advocacy is how can we take that frame sort of the portrait or the focus on the individual and expand it to a landscape frame and go beyond that immediate issue of behavior or the person and say um where can we also where can we also look in society in communities in policies who are making the decisions that designs the environment in which the individual live and so it's it's for us to framing it differently um, so media advocacy is really is really at its core <laughs> strategic use of mass media yeah, that's really good. And I really like that you used the term framing because I feel like media advocacy is pretty much, which we'll get into when we talk about responsibility, but it kind of frames it and it allows how individuals interpret concepts and notions when we're kind of looking at the issue in general. Totally. Yeah. Because we have, we have frames that works in our mind we use metaphors all the time and that creates a frame or way of telling a story it works within our language right we use sometimes we use words to replace a fact because it makes it easier to understand so we create frames all the times and and that is to help us too right there's nothing there's nothing inherently good or bad about frames it's just how our minds work and we when we have a way of telling a story we also naturally lead to a way of thinking about a solution and that's why we've started to, or have for the longest time, like linguistics, linguistics have, have studied frames and how we use our words forever. This is not a new idea, but using it more strategically to say, oh, can we move the idea away from an individual frame and into a contextual societal environmental frame? Totally. And it's also like um, moving that away from the individual also moves blame away because people like people's actions are definitely their own decisions, but it doesn't take away from the fact that they're influenced and like it's a societal cultural thing that those decisions are being made based upon. So it also takes that blame away, which I know we'll get into later, but I just think it's like really interesting, the whole concept of media advocacy within public health, because again, it's that reframing aspect and um, it's also creating better language. That's not. Um... No, you're right. We yeah. About <laughs> when we talked before this, um, we had that short little example yes. that I have been provided about. Um, you text your friends, I'm stuck in traffic. Yes. And, and instead thinking, oh, I am traffic. Yeah. I am just as much sticking other people here mm -hmm. as they are, as I'm stuck with them. Yeah, um, and the whole concept of media advocacy is like changing the language to be more approachable and like plus placing less blame on individuals um, and like kind of changing the language around public health in a way that resonates with regular people, not just public health professionals. Yes, that's such a good point that in a frame, we can also create pictures that are so much easier to digest, right? We're not dumbing down any ideas, that's not the point, but we're making it easier to understand for somebody who is not an expert or content expert in a field. Um, so taking complex ideas and making them, framing them in a way that's easier to understand and digest. Um, and that way cre creating something that the public can consume and understand. 
Yeah, no. Yeah, no, I'm so sorry. You can keep going. No, I feel <laughs> I feel like this might be a sidestep, but um, anybody who grew up when we we had VCR recordings and created by engineers, and there was a booklet that you had to read in order to program these things, and it was a mess. Um, and then we have the design process, which is making this easier for consumers to understand. And so that designing off and making things, framing things and making them accessible, right? It is not dumbing it down. The technology is the same. It is just making it easier to use and understand. Um, and so that sort of came second and, and technology we use today is intuitive. We have toddlers and iPads, right? It's that we, in that way, I've, feel like we can we can take public health frames and make them very intuitive and easier to understand and use. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, and then speaking of that, I think this is going to be the most interesting part for me, but we're going to use some examples because Dr. Yaderholm did find some examples um, about like how media advocacy is like in public health. Um, so do you want to get us started on those examples, Dr. Yaderholm? Sure. I mean, one of the things that was my first introduction to media advocacy was the um, idea around mother blaming when we talk about perinatal health. And so health for both the pregnant person, the parent and the child. And we in in American culture, it is we're so embedded. We're so used to telling things from an individual perspective. Um, it is part of our our overall understanding and framework individual responsibility. Um, and so we're so fast, it's so easy to go that route and talk about, oh, like mothers are responsible for, and I'm using the word mothers because that's where the communication started before we had more inclusive language. Um, but mothers are essentially responsible for giving birth to a healthy child and keeping that child healthy. And the more we learned along with the fields like Dohad, um, the more we learned about things like epigenetics and um, the, the environment in which the fetus develop, the more we are focusing on that individual and it is, it is easy to tap into that individual frame. And so we knew we needed more tools to explain that broader story that the, the genes we have that's affected by the environment also in fact affects the baby that is born. And it's not just whether or not the mother is eating a specific food, whether or not the mother is exercising, right? There's a lot of other things around um, the environment that both determines those factors, but also um, affects our, our gene pool, so to speak, our, our epigenetics, how our genes reacting to the environment. And that was the first time I saw how framing or how media advocacy can be used to, to not ever take away from our decision-making as individuals and our autonomy, that is never the point, but opening up the scope, opening up the frame. I remember reading the article that you sent to me. They were saying how, like what you said, a lot of people, when they look at the children, they're like, oh, it comes down to how like the mother was, um, how her health or how their health status is like and it kind of influences how the child turns out but then no one really recognizes other factors such as social determinants you know like is the mother living in an area where she, they she has access to like healthy food or is the air quality healthy for her to get like good sleep you know we have to consider all of these other elements into 
the mother's health, maternal health, like you said, we're going to use the term mother, um, and not just like how she's allowing the development of her kid. And I thought that was like really interesting. Yeah. Yes. Like instead of saying that it's recommended um, to that, and again, I'm using the very like she, but it's recommended that she exercises, right? That could be taken right out of a health book. Instead says, well, how, how is the environment in which people are pregnant? Are there safe lighting? Are there paths to go for a walk? Are there nature available where it's nice to go for a walk? Um, as you said, are the are the air the pregnant person is breathing while they're outside exercising? Is that healthy? And so exactly taking it out and saying where where is there also things that we can consider when it comes to health? And some of the examples, and that has been used in publications um, within our school of public health, is you know, babies are record keepers of societal decisions. It's a pretty bold statement, right? But it, it turns our mind to, oh, there's societal decision-making. There is decision-making outside the pregnant person going on that affects the baby's health, right? We, we really expand that frame. Um, again, as we said, framing something that's, it's epigenetics is a very complex idea, right? It's a, it's a, it's a science but it's also a complex idea that we're born with some genetic material, but then it can be affected by the environment. But when we tell it in an easier way, it's like, oh, I get that. We don't have to be a frame of a term and understanding that. And that, so one recommendation was to say our genes listen to the environment, right? Our genetic material is not that individual. It is affected by the world outside us. Um, and so so the, the idea of, reframing to avoid mother blame is to say, oh, the environments in which people are pregnant, the environments in which people undertake a healthy pregnancy that quickly changes our, our frame or the way we view an issue. I, I, I remember all those, we, we were bombarded with the individual recommendations not to, not to eat soft cheese and not to touch. I, I can't remember all of them, um, but it gives the ideas that a healthy pregnancy solely relies with the pregnant person. And that's not the case. We know that's not the case. Yeah, no, yeah, that's definitely true. And it's just like, like what we've been repeating throughout this episode is that it's all about how society sees it. And then it leads to kind of this concept of like blaming, um, and media advocacy, we kind of like want to shift away and more of like um, curating a perspective and just like allowing everyone to see the whole picture and just not like on one individual itself. Exactly. And then there's also the um, metaphors we use. So when we when we talk about an issue, one that that I found that is from it's sort of ongoing conversation. So I don't have one specific source for it, but when we talk about social policies, we can talk about some of them being safety net policies that at a certain point, we have a safety net for people. That type of policies are also talked about by a, with a different agenda as being hammocks. And the mental frame, right? The, the, the metaphor for a safety net, we get a completely different set of thoughts and pictures in our minds when we say a hammock, that's something you lay in it's something that is like considered a lazy day, you lay in a hammock, right? You're just kind of not doing much. Whereas a safety net really gives us 
the mental picture of somebody is falling and they're being caught by a net. And so talking about social policy as either one or the other really, really changes how we look at it. If it is something for a lazy day when you can't be bothered, or if it's something from when you are falling, there is somebody to catch you. Um, so not only sort of the framing of the of the individual versus the society, but also being very, we have to be very deliberate about the, the pictures or the metaphors we use. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's like a really good example about like, I mean, just mother blame me. And then on the same note, we're going to like, I want to transition and also talk about like another topic, which is like drug usage was another example we discuss about. Um, so yeah, if we want to start talking about that one, I think that one is also a very interesting topic too, especially since how it's like so relatable in today's society. Yeah. Yeah. It has been drug use in itself has been heavily debated as and being alienated or being accepted, like it has, it has a long-standing debate, and it also have a long-standing. Um, it's it's a tool, right? It's a racist tool that we've used, and so the communication around drug use and problematic drug use and addiction um, has been in great need of of reframing, in my humble opinion. <laughs> Um, and a lot of people have done a lot of great work. It's not to suggest it's never, it's not been undertaken, but um, we still see media very much portray drug use as something that's evil and something that leads to personal demise. It, it, it's, it resides with the individual. It resides in, it, it's from an individual choice. It's a behavioral, it's an action, it's a behavior and we, some media we have seen has actually gone and some media analysis have pointed towards that it's gone as far as actually blaming the individual off the societal shortfalls. So not, not only from an individual action, but also for being poor or um, not being able to afford or have access to treatment or, or support or whatever the need is, or, or covering we also don't need to assume that everybody who is using a drug is in need of treatment, right? Drug use has always been, it's always been here. I'm going to make that statement. <laughs> it's always been here. It will always be here. Um, so just understanding that, that some people will be in need of treatment and support and some individuals may not. Um, but, but this whole, the idea that somehow whatever led to the use is completely omitted. We omit um, self-medication coping. Um, we omit opportunities within a society. We omit um, when a industry is moved from one area and is deprived and doesn't have job opportunities or employment opportunities that we don't provide new skills training. Right? We, we omit all this and we go straight to people make bad choices. Um, so that has been sort of one side of drug use, but then there is there is other issues in there. Um, from a communication standpoint, um, we tend to blame people of color, particularly Black women, when we talk when we talk about because my area is so much in perinatal care and perinatal health, um, putting them in the context, having a picture available, putting them in a context of this personal choice, whereas media has been had an easier had an easier when it's been easier for them to frame when it's a white person as well there is an interplay with 
the community or with their personal circumstances, they may have lost their job or they may have worked themselves half to death. They needed something to help them cope with their job loss or cope with their very hard job, cope with the demands because they are so important that they need to fulfill these demands and they need some kind of drug to do that. And so media has typically had an easier time framing white people in some interplay with their environment, even though there's also personal decision-making in, in play, whereas people of color has typically been completely, it's been their choices, their bad choices, I dare to say, to, to use a drug. And, you know, that's not a fair representation. So that's before we even get into doing media advocacy is just understanding how has these issues been represented and in what frames do we represent them? There's instant blame placed on people of color and especially, um, like you said, black women, it's like an instant, like, oh, it's her fault and it's only her fault. Whereas when white people use drugs and do the same stuff, it's like, there's so many excuses given to them. And like, obviously this is not uncommon. Like it happens in every instance where like a white person will do a horrible crime and it's like, oh, he was doing this and this and this, and it's because of this and this. Whereas like, if it was the opposite, it'd be like, oh yeah, he just decided to do that. It's his fault. Like that type of thing. Um, so I think within the lens of prenatal care and that sort of stuff, it is really interesting to think about what, what we're doing to, um, I guess, reframe and like create conversation around the societal and cultural influence of these bad decisions, quote, bad decisions, and like why they're happening rather than just being like, oh, it's because this person's poor and that's why. Like that, just like assumption rather than like coming up with solutions and moving past those assumptions. Absolutely. Um, both understanding using a drug the same way that we understand we have a we have a social acceptance of using alcohol much differently right it would it would not be okay for me to sit here even if it with a legalized let's say in a legalized state where drug use is not a crime right it still wouldn't be accepted if i'm like well the weekend is coming and i'm going to use meth on friday you wouldn't you, you would stop, you would pause and be like, what did she say? If I said the weekend is coming along, I'm gonna open a nice bottle of red wine. You wouldn't have that same pause, right? So, so we already have created a conversation that is very stigmatizing towards one substance, right? Something that alters our mind versus another. So that's already built in this stigma, right? Stigma is like our collective understanding that something is bad versus something is good. And that's already built into this conversation and it is built in. All of us have had like, I would call it training um, education in schools around the just say no, just make better choices, just make the right decision in the moment. Um, and while we should not neglect the power of education and knowing but education could also be protective in the same way that we make recommendations around smoking and alcohol. We try and explain what aspects are really dangerous and 
if if you were to use this, this is the recommended amount. We have nice posters around alcohol explaining where where do we think we don't say there's a safe amount, but where do we think there's less risk of harm? We don't really produce that around drugs, right? I, I yet have to see that graphic that shows you um, how much you can smoke um, or use cannabis that is considered within low risk, right? I have yet to see that poster. And so we can already there, we have chosen a different frame of educating. Um, and I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit sidetracked here. So back to media advocacy, right? In stories, in stories that tells us it is bad to use drugs and the people who does it are responsible or to blame for both their own if there's a poor situation right we often like to portray the poor situations it's, it's rare that you see a story about the success person and the stories about drugs that i don't think that happens um, but we want to blame the individual for what's going on and in that frame we completely omit what did the government choose around where did their budget allocate um, for skills training, for law enforcement, for social work, for treatment options, like that, we can't we can't hold that many frames. So it's just easier to focus on the individual, and then that's a myth that's silenced. Yeah, that's good. And like what you said, it's when there's just so much training, everyone's just like we just want to look at one individual and the individual itself, but that doesn't really help with the progression when it comes to media advocacy. Um, but yeah, that's that on drug usage and then this is the most important part that we're going to make a little transition in which is about very contentious topic but about abortion and how our society is currently framing um the news on abortion and can make us very divisive at times but um yeah if any of y'all want to start us off with like abortion and media advocacy i think this is the most like relatable topic too especially right now in society Totally. And I know Grace and I chatted a little bit before, so Grace, um, feel free to jump in. I found um, an old, I call this older um, study that is um, looking at media, US print news from 2014 till 15 on abortion. So before we're now in the full on <laughs> row <laughs> discussion, um, where we see that the information from print media is largely focused on um, the stigma. So either either personifying. So when I say stigma, right? Again, it's this collective idea that something is bad, and we are kind of feeding that through different avenues. And so one way is like personifying an embryo or a fetus, or um, always talking about emotional harm like how it's emotionally harmful to have an abortion, um, always talking about the mother's emotional state and how, um, how those negative emotions that people have around abortions, like they are portrayed all the time. And then pointing out if there is a safety concern, if there was ever one, that's the example we're gonna focus on. We're not gonna focus on how safe overall abortion is, but the safety or discrediting the, produ the procedure, discrediting the providers. Right? Those are the frames that we keep telling, and that is to feed that stigma. And that is in half of stories, right? Half of stories um, have like, always connected abortion to making sure that we have that stigma frame somehow invoked. Um, 
And so looking at the opposite sort of the, what, how can we counter that is under, understanding how many stories are talking about abortion as safe and as a normal healthcare procedure, just building it into a regular part of healthcare. Um, the prevalence of abortion, like just the, the statistics around that most, most people who have an abortion are not teenagers. They are, they already have other children. They are already parents. Um, and those things are in the news in this analysis. The fact that, that most were already parents were never talked about. It was talked about in some opinion pieces, but not in the regular news cycle written by the journalist or the, um, the paper. It was, um, it was rarely talked about that it wasn't teenagers, which means in the opposite, we often tend to portray this as teenagers, right? In, in a circumstance. Um, we, we rarely talk about the prevalence, the statistics. It was only in opinion pieces those were seen. Um, and then the safety, again, opinion pieces talked about safety around abortion, but we didn't see that in regular news stories. And so that's already, we already saw skew before we're now jumping to current day right, in the way we tell these stories. And um, Grace, do you have something to, to add about, we were talking about some of the, um, the, the recommended frames. Yeah, like the language change around when discussing abortions and such. I um, also just want to add that, like, I think a lot of why people think abortion is a contentious topic is like, obviously, like, religious ideals and stuff, but it's also framed as such an individual problem and an individual choice when it truly is not. It's not just like, oh, I'm pregnant. Um, I don't want it. So I'm going to get an abortion. And that's a valid reason too. But like so many people, like you said, Dr. Yaderholm already have kids, already have too many things going on in their life. And it's like a decision based on so many other factors. And like, if that's your reasoning, if you just like simply don't want a kid and that's your reasoning, that's fine. But to think that people who are get abortions are ones that are just like flippantly getting an abortion is just like so inaccurate because that's like such an individualized ideal when it also is like, there's so many different factors, like I said earlier, um, which I think is a major issue in the conversation around abortion because it's just like, it just disregards the fact that there are other layers to decision-making with this procedure. Um, and it just places a bunch of blame on the person getting the abortion. Like, for example, like what if someone got pregnant and they couldn't even afford to feed their three kids that they already had? Like, we should have a conversation about maybe getting them government assistance to help feed their kids or something like that before we blame them for wanting an abortion. Like that sort of thing. It's just like, it, <laughs> there's we just have so a, we many do layers. Have a very, we do, we have narrowed this issue so much yeah. into, and it is we're pro-choice, anti-choice, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not taking away any, I would never take away from 
from from placing this as a as a choice, but that also is within the individual in a way that we do forget about the environment that informs those choices and those options that is available. And I know one thing that the ACLU have pushed hard is or have used as their media advocacy is also saying it's a forced pregnancy. Right? It's not this the abortion, but instead saying when we don't have that access, when we don't have um, that part of our regular healthcare, we are forcing pregnancies on people. And so that's sort of also reframing it, right? Totally. In when we want to argue freedom, forced pregnancy is not a freedom, Mm-mm. right? And, and it also quickly puts us at a frame and understanding and saying, how was the pregnancy forced on them? Oh, yeah. maybe not everybody make a decision. Maybe not everybody has the option to make a decision around becoming pregnant. And even when people are able to make to make those right, able to make those decisions for themselves, things doesn't always go as we plan, right? And so we don't want to force pregnancy on anybody. And then another example um, is this focus on: Are we really going to grant legal parent personhood to a fetus? Is that where we're going, right? When we when we consistently talk about, oh, the right, like who has the rights, then are we are we willing to take that step and grant legal personhood to a fetus? And the all the implications that can come with that, right? Yeah. So that's a, that's another argument where most people would be like, yeah, no, that doesn't really make sense. That's not in our tradition, and that is definitely not anywhere in our constitution that the fetus is a is a legal person with rights, right? just as much as other people are missing from our constitution, fetus is also not there. And so we, um, that is like, when, when is a, that conversation about personhood is another way of framing the conversation. Yeah, that's really good. And then speaking about framing um, and like changing the context and like placing blame um, and just like to kind of like bring us to the solution aspect of this conversation is how should we plan to, like change individualized approaches to more of a holistic solution because as we see in all the conversations and examples that we've been using um it's mostly focusing on individual and their decision and we don't ever like look at or expand our knowledge on external aspects and influences you know um and i think by doing that we might come to a holistic solution. And it was that one example, um, Dr. Inhome, that we had in a conversation about how, um, was that on the topic of abortion, but people on two sides ended up like agreeing on one topic because they just changed the way that they just saw the problem. I forgot the example, but we had that discussion. Yeah, um, I think we talked about same-sex marriage. Yes, yes, and- yes. I want to be <laughs> very transparent of not being very knowledgeable in the process, but what what this conversation came to was a, a framing around not so much a right as we all owe it to each other. We owe it to our neighbors. We owe it to our fellow community members that they also can marry who they love, can live legally with who they love. Um, and because it does come with legal rights, right? 
Um, and and so the reframing was to all of a sudden go into this this moral value of loyalty. We owe it to each other in our country. We owe it to our fellow community members that they have the same the same rights. And this is very much speaking to to straight people who can get married, right? When we say we owe it to the 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 power that created that decision-making. And so that was one way, that was one example of media advocacy or reframing that worked well and taking the discussion away from a place that was very divided into a place that we can, the loyalty value seems to be something that speaks to most people. Um, Yeah, that's a really good example. And I think like to add on what you were saying, Dr. Anaholm, like, I feel like media advocacy in some way somehow has the power to either unite us or kind of divide us. And it just comes down to kind of like, I mean, there's that, but then it also comes down to how we take in the information as well. And I think it's just like really important for us to be open-minded, you know, and spreading our knowledge is also a form of media advocacy because with us and our ability and access to media in modern day can have such a great influence in any topic, you know? So I think it's just like media advocacy plays a part, but how we want to interpret the ideas also another part as well. Right. And, and a big part of it is to amplify um, already organizations and communities that, that are stakeholder that has a stake in an issue that has done work and knowing how they would like to reframe it and amplify that as you said social media has really given us all some kind of platform if 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 we use it and so there's both amplifying the frames that will that will foster change in a direction that public health that serves public health or serve population health absolutely um and then it's the other part is just always keeping this in mind that we have this model of um, of an information gap that we that we always default to. Oh, people need to know more. They just need more information, and and trying to step away from usually some somebody who is a victim of or historically oppressed. They don't need more information about not how to not be that be oppressed or how to not be a victim. That is, for the most part, that's not the issue. Not disregarding good education, but that's not the part. The part is the power gap. It's not the knowledge gap, it's the power gap. And so that we always go and addressing, you know, the, the define the, the problem in terms of why can't we get to this change? Where is, where is the barriers to that social change that is so needed? And that's where media advocacy want to move more, right? It's not another example is when you go to your car, Right. The knowledge gap is you should have knowledge around holding the keys. Right. Most women, we have been told, hold the keys in your hands so you're ready to fight when you go to your car by yourself. Right. That's the knowledge gap addressed. You should know how to defend, defend for yourself. The power gap to address is, well, how about we all look at how to create a safe environment so that everybody can walk to their cars safely? And so why do we have this attack happen? to not go into a whole new violence path. But um, but that is, as you said, when, when we do media advocacy, that is some of the big pictures that we want to keep in mind. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel like we've said media advocacy a million times. So I'm just, I'm going to say it again. But overall, I think it just is like such a vital part of public health and even just like 
overarching societal and cultural things with, especially within the United States. Um, and so I really appreciate having this conversation with you, Dr. Yaderholm, because it brings more light to, I think it's just like, I have never thought of public health like this before. And it just like makes so much sense that it, of course it would be public health. Like public health isn't just about distributing vaccines or, you know, um, doing things like in a medical sense, it's about taking care and looking at things in a holistic way for communities and looking out for your neighbors and conveying information that is digestible and it's not intimidating. And that is like really important because I mean, we could go on and on, but yeah, I think it just is like a really valuable conversation to have because not many people, people think that they're not influenced by media, but you are like, no matter what. So coming up with new language and ways to convey ideas is just vital to continuing to better people's health. So I really appreciate you for coming on here and talking with us. And I hope that you will join us again next year. (laughs) Um, You're always welcome to be a guest, Dr. Yaderholm. You're just our third podcaster by spirit. So... (laughs) I love really being here. It. Yeah, thank you so much. No, I really, uh, we really appreciate it, Dr. Ingram, for coming on here. And like we said, media advocacy has always exists, but it's relatively new in the public health field. And we really hope that there are more studies coming in the future when it comes to this topic, because I think as a society and even individuals, we can get so much out of it. And it's just like reframe a lot of the issues we have right now. And, you know, reframing current issues um, and existing issues, it might be easier, you know, when it comes to figuring out a solution for it. And so, yeah, that's my two cents about media advocacy. And I really hope it becomes more of a thing in the future. Right. Thank you, both of you. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure talking to you. Perfect. All right. Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you next week. We at Shack are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503-725-2800. Counseling services are still available via telehealth, and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number at 503-725-2800. If you're looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday, or you can download the CampusWell app. Also, feel free to check out the virtual MindSpa experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including resources, links, in the episode description, as well as a link to the episode transcript. If you have any questions about health, wellness, shack, or anything we discussed in this podcast, please fill out the Google form in the episode description. Thanks for listening and take care. We'll see you next week on What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor.